2: Coming up today
0: on The Story.
2: So I prayed a little, simple little prayer to God, please come into my life and be the the, the Lord, the King, the, the guide of my life. And at that moment, things really changed for me dramatically. And from that moment on, I had an amazing knowledge, if you like, that God had set my life apart to serve Him. And the place He wanted me to go to
0: was a place called India. The Story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Ross Grant was only nine years old when he knew exactly what he was going to do with his life. He had just become a Christian and immediately felt a very clear call to be a missionary to India, which he went on to do. But his journey then led him to several other countries with plenty of unexpected twists and turns along the way. Ross Grant sat down to record his story while Shelley Scone was on holiday in New Zealand. Thank goodness she brought along her portable recorder so that we're able to listen to Ross's adventurous life story.
1: Ross Grant has uh, lived a very interesting life, missions all over the world, with quite a few twists and turns and health challenges thrown in along the way. Just wanted to explore some of his story today. Ross, you had that call to missions really early in life. Tell us about how you were saved.
2: Well, I was brought up in a, in a wonderful Christian home in the sense that my parents were very strong in their faith, and my mother uh, became a Christian out of the way bush country of, of New Zealand, and, um, uh, and and then went to a place called BTI, where she learnt, which was Bible Training Institute, and she learned or began to learn all about Christian faith, and she was uh, sitting in a lecture and um, And uh, somebody was talking all about Paul. And she turned to the person and dug him in the ribs and says, Paul who? (laughs) Very, um, you know, None of them
1: had surnames, did
2: they? No, (laughs) no, exactly. So she came from an interesting sort of background. And we were brought up to love God um, in a most um, very um, ordinary way. Mother was a wonderful pianist. um, And she had... A a, a mini grand piano and used to love to put us all to sleep at night time which was rather delightful but I I came to um, her one night after having been at Sunday school where my Sunday school teacher said that we needed to have a relationship with God to actually be prepared when Jesus was to come again and I knew that my parents were going to go to heaven if Jesus was to come again but I knew that I wasn't ready at all. So right there in the darkness, as mother was playing, I came up behind her and I said, "Mum," and she jumped in her, in her seat. And I said, "Mum, I, I really want to become a Christian." And what? would she stopped playing and turned round on the seat. And right there and then, with my father sort of snoozing on the on the seat beside her, um, explained to me that I needed to actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. Right. And um, so I prayed a simple little prayer to God, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it went something like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you came to earth, and you died on a cross to pay the sin for the sin that I did, so that I could have a wonderful relationship with you. And please come into my life and be the the Lord, the King, the, the guide of my life. And at that moment, things really changed for me dramatically. And I had a from that moment on, I had a, an amazing um, knowledge, if you like, that God had set my life apart to serve him. Mm-hmm. And there was no revelation. There was no writing on the wall or anything silly like that. I just knew very strongly that that's what God wanted me to do. And the place he wanted me to go to was a place called India.
1: So you knew this at age nine?
2: I knew this at the age nine. Wow. So all of my schooling from then on was dedicated to fitting myself to become a missionary. So I played sport with a view to actually strengthening my body. All my education was in such that I I was learning how to become a good testimony for Jesus. Mm. And I had some quite interesting experiences with teachers trying to persuade me that um, the bible wasn't true and uh, and evolution was the way to go and uh, so much so that they actually had to send me out into the corridor to behave myself
1: how <laughs> dare <laughs> you disagree with what we're trying yeah. to you? yes
2: nine years of age mind you there we go
1: <laughs> well i dare say there might have been a little bit of attitude in there too maybe <laughs>
2: Well, I knew it's what so I believed. Because I'm
1: sure you weren't, you know, obviously, as you say, there was that life change and everything. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you were necessarily an angel from the age of nine. Oh, I wish still I was, but I wasn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still
1: very much a little boy that um, yeah. God was still molding from there on in. Yeah. So you did end up in India, but uh, everything kind of um, went a bit pear-shaped when you were 14 years old.
2: 14 years old was quite dramatic, in the sense that my mother and my father actually died when I was 14. Mm. Well, really two years apart, but my, my mother died. My father died first and my mother. So at 14 years of age, here was I with the absolute focus of being a servant of God overseas. And um, everything was taken from me. My parents were pretty much bankrupt when they died. And so we were left with absolutely nothing except us four boys. And at the funeral, were they older than you or younger? I was the third, okay. so I can still see my very wealthy relatives on the, on the on the lawn trying to debate what they were going to do, do with us four orphan boys. And they decided, in their wisdom, that they were going to split us up and send us to four different orphanages. And a man, who I hardly knew, went up to them and said, "Over my dead body! Am I going to let you do that to these four boys? They're coming into my home." And so he took us four boys into his home with his dear wife and family, and I lived with them for about five years.
1: Right. And this is an interesting part of the story too, because uh, one of the girls that also lived in that house ended up playing a significant role in your life. Well, yes. (laughs)
2: Um, I um, I was really committed to going and serving the Lord, and and so I joined a... um, Mission group called Gospel Literature Outreach, which is still operating in Australia today.
1: Mm, GLA, yeah.
2: Mm. And so I went as a second mission uh, that they had conducted to Calcutta. And um, uh, one of the people that wrote to me regularly was this young lady that had written. Had uh, I'd grown up with, thought I was just treated like my kid sister, quite a sport kid I always thought, <laughs> and. Um, but unfortunately, we were not able to continue in Calcutta and had to come home again, much to my dismay, really. Really cut up about that because I felt that God had really called me to India yeah. and then to be sent home, I could not understand that. But I really believed that, that somehow this was just a small portion of God's big picture of what he wanted me to do. So I kept trusting him and honoring him. And so I became home to live in the same home and actually, fell in love with my sister. Well, she <laughs> not your blood sister. She wasn't my blood <laughs> sister, but no, and of course I knew her very well because I'd lived in their home, knew all about her, and um, it was about. Within, in fact, we were working in the bank together. Wow. And that was not an absolute no-no because of security, supposedly. Really? And so as soon as we we became engaged, I got shot off to another branch. And then when I came back, Jan got shot off to another branch. And that's how it was. Yeah. But never mind. We got married and we've had a wonderful happy marriage together. Mm. How many years? 47 this year. Wow. Mm.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, it is. What a great story. So you first met when you were young children then?
2: Well, I remember coming home from school and it was about the time I became a Christian and I said to my brothers, my girlfriend's initials are JC and they said Janice Coppin, I said no no no, but it actually was (laughs) Jan doesn't remember anything about that, but apparently there were a number of girls between her and uh, getting married too, but we won't talk about that, will we? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I can't say there would be too many stories of um, the nine-year-olds ending up marrying their, no,
2: well, there you go. The, uh,
1: their crush at nine years old. want to explore a bit more about what you're saying about your mission mm. in India, since you were very um, called to that from mm. such a young age, and uh, you were a, a missionary there at the age of 20, which is very young to mm. go.
2: Mm. So it was it was quite an experience of being able to go there and at Bombay, as it was known then, uh, to be not granted a visa for to become a missionary, and mm-hmm. um, but they did allow me a, mission, uh, um, a, a visitor's permit, and we went with our small team across to Calcutta, and stayed there three months, and uh, really disillusioned really, I suppose you'd have to say. Very confused really? about what to do and where to go and what where to go on from. But my core was very strong um, and so I knew that God hadn't finished with me yet. I uh, got very ill with dengue fever. I oh. uh, landed up in hospital with no money. Um, just It was a horrific experience. Um, so
1: what was your outreach there?
2: It was really through literature. Okay. And we went to the big warehouse where the GLO had actually prepared all this literature to find that it was absolutely wasted the water had got in and oh all those no. thousands of pieces of literature was, were completely wasted anyway oh no. so that was devastating so then we find uh, I found myself in a position where I really needed to move on so got a ticket back to Singapore uh, via Madras saw the team in Madras which was a real wonderful experience to meet them and came back to um, uh, Sri Lanka and then on to uh, Singapore where we stayed for quite a number of weeks and sort of not knowing whether to go on for further mission or whether to come home and knew that it would be very embarrassing for me to come home. Mm-hmm. But God hadn't called me to anywhere else. So I finally... And particularly
1: when you'd been so focused on all, all, much all of so. these years. God, yeah. what are you doing?
2: So I wrote to my elders uh, back here and they were right behind my call of course but they said to me quite clearly if god has called you to india and the door has closed you need to come home so i had to face the music Mm. i got all sorts of interesting responses for christians all over the world who found out that we had been rejected and all sorts of interesting things did god call you in the first place etc looking back
1: were you asking the same question
2: of course i was but when i realized that um if I hadn't gone when God had called me, I would never have got to India. Yeah. But some things happened subsequently which confirmed that we were in the right direction. Um, but in, so from Singapore, I came home, rejoined the family, and of course fell in love with Jan, and then we got married. Mm. i still wondering what on earth it was that God what it really wanted us to do in, in terms of mission. So we just waited and waited.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowan is in New Zealand sitting down with Ross Grant and having a chat about his adventurous life journey, doing mission work in various countries. We'll hear more of his story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936.
2: It's a free call. Or text 0401
0: 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowan in New Zealand, sitting down and having a chat with Ross Grant about his adventurous life journey, doing mission work in various countries. Before the break, we heard how he became a Christian at nine years old and immediately felt a very clear call to be a missionary to India, which he went on to do. Next, we'll hear how the Lord leads Ross, along with his wife Jan, to Fiji.
1: How did that come about?
2: Well, my my, uh, my in-laws were very, very interested in the work in Fiji and would take short-term missions over there. Mm-hmm. And so... I went on a short-term mission with my father-in-law, who, yes, he was my father at that stage, and of course, mixed with all sorts of people there, and then came home again and Jan and I said, we really believe that God wants us to be missionaries in Fiji, but knowing that the door had been solidly closed for missions for eight years in Fiji, no missionaries okay. that had been allowed in. So we wrote to Foster Crane, who was a senior missionary then, and he affirmed, no, there was no way you could become a missionary in Fiji because the door was solidly closed. So we went back to the elders and they said, well, just be patient, wait for God to act.
1: And find a back door.
2: Uh, Well, no, we didn't (laughs) actually find a back door. We just really felt that, that this was right. So we went back to our elders and they said, well, you need to contact Foster Crane again. So we wrote to Foster and said, affirmed to him what God, we believe very firmly that God was calling us to do. He says, okay, if your call is that strong, I need to actually go and approach the government on your behalf. So he approached the government again and came back, and in three days we had a permit to go to Fiji without any conditions at all. Wow. So God just flew the door open like that. Wow. And the period which you can How's consider, that very clear calling? Wow! Well, exactly. <laughs> So we went again with no money. We stepped out of faith and went to serve him in Fiji. And there were so amazing stories how God would provide day by day And mm. those tremendous experiences of, of serving him there. We served for the maximum that you could serve, six years, and then came home again. Mm. Mm.
1: Uh, can you share with us one of those particular stories that stands out to you of how God provided?
2: Oh, we were sitting at the table one day, and we had about, I think there was 14 local people staying with us you know people who are out of jail uh, people we'd led to the lord uh, and were needing parenting um loving prostitutes they were all there a tent patch on the front lawn to house the guys and the girls were in the house with all our family etc etc yeah
1: because yeah, you had three kids No, four we had four at children the there at yep. the
2: time and um i said to jan jan uh money's run out And uh, she said, yes, there is no food left in the pantry. Apart from what we had actually got on the table there for breakfast. And we, of course, had our little time of prayer around the table, particularly our family. And I remember distinctly our second son praying, Lord, we thank you for this food that we've got on this table today. And we don't know what you're going to provide for tonight, but we trust you. Mm -hmm. And he hears me thinking yes, it's not like today where you can send an email you know, mm-hmm. it takes like three weeks for a letter to get back to New Zealand and you can't ask local people for money and you can't even work for money there, you're out on your own I thought, now what on earth is God going to do here we had just enough petrol for me to drive down to the post office which was the only thing you could get, click a mail so I went down to the post office after the children had gone off to school etc and put my hand in the box and there appeared to be nothing there and i thought i better try again <laughs> <laughs> and i put my hand in and found a card I pulled the card out and it was a card which says it was a parcel there for us mm-hmm. and i thought oh that's interesting so i handed the the, uh, the card in at the little door and this person came out with a a box about 500 cube and I thought, ooh, this is very interesting. I think I know what this is. <laughs> so, Care package
1: from home?
2: Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I took it home and um, I said to Jan, I started to pull it to bits and Jan said, no, just leave it. So I thought, Well, this is a good idea. So I put it on the table, sort of a little bit ripped. Yeah. And the children came home after walking home for about an hour and a half, very hot and very sticky. And one by one, they came through the door and I said, hey, guys, you better look and see what's on the table. And, uh, of course, the youngest one was vibrant, and he got stuck in and started pulling the paper off. And the eldest one was pretty excited. And, and then, then Daryl, the second one, came in, and he looked at the table and he says, Hmm, I knew God would provide. <laughs> and here was a food parcel from New Zealand. But in the food parcel was not ordinary food. It was specialist food. You know, chocolate and all the stuff you wouldn't ordinarily eat. And boy, did we have a feast that night. (laughs) The interesting thing about this, you say, well, does God answer prayer? Of course, he answers prayer.
1: Mm. And in advance as well.
2: But the interesting thing about this one was that two months later, we got a letter from a person way down the South Island in New Zealand with a check involved and said, I just want to tell you that I'm very sorry about the lateness of this, this letter. Just over two months ago, God really prompted me to actually send this money to you, and I didn't do it.
1: Oh, wow.
2: And we looked back, and we realized it was the time. Then we had nothing.
1: Wow.
2: Isn't that interesting?
1: What a challenge. (laughs) How many times are we in that position? And full credit to them for following through eventually and, and after God is on their case, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: But it was a little lesson to us all. You need wow. to trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, trust and, and obey. obey. Yeah.
1: And, I mean, you can also see it from the other point of view of, well, that person didn't give the money, but God still provided anyway. But he did. But that's not the point.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, God will still provide for his people, but yeah. he uses his people to do that
2: and it doesn't always provide we, we often say well why doesn't God answer my prayers well God answers prayers in three different ways doesn't he it's either yes I will answer it now mm. or I need you to wait until I'm ready to show you that I am God or no now is not the right time exactly. now which one of those would you like <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: yeah, so we always like the easy option and the easy path through life but do. it doesn't always happen that way so uh, lots of adventures in strengthening those faith muscles yes when you were there in yeah. Fiji I'm yeah, sure yeah. Um, so well you ate well that night but what did you do the next night when you're still at a house full of people well
2: it was a few years ago I don't remember but I don't I know, know that we had something for every meal yeah and uh, though it was small there were people something to fill the table. local with. people came and helped us when we didn't ask we could never ask of course yeah but God provided in most amazing. amazing ways yeah. that's
1: amazing yeah you came back to New Zealand after that and um, lived, I guess, the normal Western life for a little while. Uh, but then God called you on to Africa. But it, actually, I should say, it was in the time that you were in New Zealand, you, your health started declining mm. a bit. Mm. Yeah. But God still called you to Africa.
2: Well, you know, I don't think that God takes too much notice of your health sometimes. I think <laughs> this call is so strong that you, you know, you can't always uh, follow because of health reasons, but it doesn't stop yeah. the call. So we've had a a very strong desire to serve God outside uh, our European society in a sense that we still have people coming to New Zealand as missionaries, etc. And perhaps with many people, need needs to become Christians here. Yes. But there are many people in the world who have never really heard the true meaning of Christianity. And we knew there was a huge um, need to spread the, the word in a, in, a, in a very effective way. Hmm.
1: So you went to Africa. What part of Africa did you go to?
2: Oh, particularly to Kenya because I'm not very good with languages and Kenyans speak English very well as people do in the immediate area of Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we ventured uh, beyond its borders really into the war zones as well, which was an interesting experience.
1: Right. Was this the
2: 1980s? No, it was only um, – no, the 1990s. 1990s, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How long were you there in Africa?
2: Um, I first of all went about three or four weeks at a time okay. because um, I, I, I watched what Paul does and I did in the book of Acts. True, he he kind of came and
1: went and, yeah. and
2: got out of the way to let them do it the way yeah. that God wanted them to. You know, go a little bit more. And then the last time, I spent three months there. Three months is an awful long time to be away from your wife and, oh, and family, it yes. is really long. Plus, the fact that you're in, in very, very trying situations. Mm. And guns in your face often, or you'll drive along the road with your window down because it's so hot, and people will rip your watch off, or rip your jewelry off with your wife, or whatever it is. It's just really uh, quite horrendous. Yeah. Uh, and it's very unsafe. And I always go with a local person, I would never go by myself, no, ne- just never do that. That
1: would
2: not be safe. So. Um, so we travelled right through Kenya, and one of the most exciting things, well, the one of the memorable things was we went to a church where there was a building. Uh, quite a nice little church building and I had a three-day seminar there with the church leaders and they were really pumped up about getting out and reach people for Christ and bring them in. And I said to them, well, the difficulty that I would have of bringing people in like you have is the fact that you have this beautiful building here but the, the shutters are falling off the windows and the doors are off their hinges. I tell you what, I'm really tired but I will give you tomorrow before I fly out on the following day and I will help you to have a working bee to fix this building up. No way, brother, I said. No way? What do you mean? The Americans built this building. Let them come and fix it. (laughs) I learned a very big lesson. It is not responsibility of a foreign church from another country to come and build buildings for people. If they want a building to house people, I'm not against buildings, but it has to be their idea Mm -hmm. and their money their resources until they can't actually complete it and then we should come and help them complete it
1: Mm.
2: it was a big lesson to me
1: yes thought provoking definitely Mm -hmm. we've only told about half your story actually no (laughs) far less than half your story um i think we need to come back and revisit you tomorrow because um a a large part of your story you mentioned that you were starting to come down with a fairly serious illness when you were in new Mm -hmm. zealand before you went to africa which actually turned out to be chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. And you were battling that all this time while you were back and forth to Africa. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about your 25 years with chronic fatigue syndrome Mm -hmm. and how you were eventually freed from that over Mm -hmm. the course of about three days. There's so much more to your story, including what you're doing now. You run a motel and you've been helping your competition. You've been (laughs) helping the other motels in your town. Who does that? (laughs) There's so much more to tell. So will you come back and join us again tomorrow and um, keep exploring your story?
0: Well, as you just heard Shelley Scowen say... There's so much more to Ross Grant's life story with yet more adventures for us to hear. So we invite you to join us again next time for part two of Shelley's conversation with Ross. As she mentioned, we'll hear about his long battle with chronic fatigue syndrome and about the joys of running a motel with his wife. As Jesus commanded us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And Ross definitely has been following that verse and it has made for a very interesting and fulfilling life. Although I think he'd be the first to say that it hasn't always been easy. But with the Lord's help, they've been able to impact many people's lives, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Ross Grant's life journey. Until next time, when we'll hear part two, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I
2: came back of course from Fiji and wondered why in the late 40s where I had no energy to do anything. And I should be vibrant, I should be, you know, plenty of go. One day I was so bad that uh, Jan called the local doctor from about 20 kilometres away We he had a lot of confidence in him and he came rushing in
0: and he really thought that I'd died. Ross Grant joins us once again to share more of his adventures as a missionary in various countries. He'll also share about his long battle with chronic fatigue syndrome and about running a motel with his wife in New Zealand. All that and more next time. The Story, just another way vision is connecting faith to life.
2: This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.